Amen. Thank you, Cynthia. Something about that name. That's really good. Thank you so much. All right, well, good morning. If you got a Bible, if you'll grab it, please. Turn to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. If you were here with us last week, we were in chapter 2. I'm doing a two-week series. We're going to start uh, Romans next week for the long haul. I'm excited about that. I hope you'll journey with us through that uh, very, very deep book. I'm excited about that. Um, today, chapter 3 of Colossians. If you were gone last week, let me catch you up. I, uh, I, I wanted to look at two things um, in chapter 2 and then chapter 3. We looked at what a life uh, that is filled with Jesus looks like, uh, about what it looks like to be content, be satisfied. Jesus is enough. Uh, Paul tells us in the book of Colossians chapter 2 that Jesus is sufficient. He's enough. We don't have to add on or do anything. And today we're going to look at what it looks like to be raised in Christ. Now, here's a statement that I gave last week that it fits today. And and it kind of sets the tone. What we believe about Jesus will dictate and determine how you live your life. That came full swing a couple of times, but what you truly believe about Jesus, it's going to determine how you live your life. If Jesus is just a moral teacher, kind of a, a religious guy, kind of a fairy tale figure that your, your parents kind of taught you about as a kid, that's great. You're going to try to do a little good. You're going to try to avoid the bad things, but in the end, you hope you go to heaven, but it's all right. It's all good. If, if he is anything less than the God of the universe that, set, that came from heaven to come to this earth to die your sins, took your place, anything less than that, we're missing it. I gave the illustration last week and, and about if the only way that you or your, your family member was going to live is if I gave the life of my son for you. I joke about it every time I say that. I don't love anybody in this room that much. Don't take offense to that, but I don't. But here's the thing. I said, how long would it take? How long would it take for, for, for you to not be able to pass me without going, man, thank you so much, my family, I'm alive because you gave your son who, who, who was, uh, gave me life or gave us life, maybe a year, two years, a decade goes by. Would it turn to a wave or a story or just kind of something you tack on, like, yeah, yeah I was struggling and, and this story, this thing happened, this boy gave his life and I was able to make it. We sometimes yawn at the gospel and sometimes Jesus down on the cross becomes a tack onto our lives where it is not something that we are overflowing with gratitude and it changes us. Paul ended last week and he said this, he said, we should overflow with gratefulness and gratitude and it's going to come up again today that if we truly buy in and truly believe that Jesus is who he is and what he said he has done, it will change the course and the trajectory of your life. And that's what we're going to look at today. So if you would stand, please, we're going to read our text. We're going to see details of what Paul's going to say of what a life that is raised, brought from death to life, what that's going to look like. Chapter 3, we're going to go 1 through 17. It'll be on the screen if you want to read along with us. Paul says this in verse 1, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also be with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to that earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. But now, you must rid yourselves of all such things, such as anger, rage, malice, 
slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with all of its practices and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Verse 11. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether it's word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray together. Take a deep breath, relax for just a minute. Um, a beautiful text today we're going to walk through. Um, but as we're in this space, I say it a lot, but I just want you to relax for a minute. And if your heart's desire is to be changed, I tell you this every week, I can't change you, you can't change me. The Spirit of the living God is the only one. And if that's your desire, I ask that you just kind of just tell him. Just say, God, do something fresh. Change me. Shape me. Mold me. Allow me to be different. Allow my heart to be receptive to the word today. If that's your desire, you tell him. And he'll respond. God, you know our hearts, you know our lives, you know our stories, you know our minds, you know what's going on. And I'm just so grateful for this place and this time that we get to come with brothers and sisters and look around and, and worship together as a bunch of messed up, imperfect people. That we come because we have been rescued and redeemed, and there are some that are still searching for that. But for those of us who are in Christ, you've given us your word to help us see, not guess, but to see what it's supposed to look like. But above all, your gospel, the grace, the good news of Jesus, it's at the forefront because you have purchased and preserved and redeemed and you've rescued us. Help us to see what our lives are to look like. Help us to see how we can shine in a world that is so often so dark, looking for hope, looking for some sort of light. May we point them to you. We ask it all in the great name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, uh, we're going to jump right into it. If you're a note taker, you're going to love this sermon. If not, you can pretend like you do. Uh, I'm going to break this into five sections, and there's five areas that you can write down of real simple. No news flashes here. We're going to break this down into five areas of what Paul's talking about here, of what a life that is raised in Christ looks at looks like. I, I did last week in chapter two because I, I wanted to make understanding because sometimes in New Year's we talk about I need to start, stop, do this. I need to quit cussing. I need to start going to church. I need to read my Bible. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to all the things, which are great. But nine times out of ten, that's a made-up statistic, most of the time we never keep those things. I'm the world's worst at, re uh, at resolutions and things like that. When we want to do something, we're going to do it. 
When you want to change, I joked about working out. If I really wanted to lose weight, really wanted to work out, I'm going to do it. Until then, it ain't going to happen. And constantly, I look at this book, and I talked about last week in chapter 1, where Paul is talking about Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. All things are created by him and for him and through him. He sets up this true identity of who Jesus is. And then in chapter 2, he's like, hey, your life is full. You don't need anything else. You are complete in Jesus Christ. And here comes chapter 3 when he says, hey, this is what your life is supposed to look like. Now, sometimes we get it flipped. We start thinking about what we got to change and then think and hope that we're satisfied. There are some things in our lives that are to be purged and taken out as we are to look like him, not like us anymore. Let's jump right into it together. The first thing is if our life is to be raised in Christ, if you're a believer, then this is the hallmark of our life. The first thing is that we pursue holiness. That's number one. Look at verses one through four. He says, since or if then, depending on your translation, you have been raised with Christ, brought from death to life, he says, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. David, you died. Your life is now hidden. Put your name in there. It is hidden in Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also be with him in glory. Paul stems from this this, this progressive discipleship, and he he bridges into these specific elements. He talks about a life that is raised in Christ. That's the sermon title. But look at the two things he says right off the bat. He says to set. He says set your, your, your hearts and your minds. And that word set, in the Greek, it means to, to seek something or possess it. It is not an, it's not a passive thing. It means to go after it. Have you ever had times in your life to think, man, I want to grow closer to God, but I just don't want to read the Bible. I'm, I'm kind of done with church. I don't like this person. I don't like that person. And then you get a little frustrated in your futility of, I'm not growing. The word set in the language, it means to go after it. you gotta, you got to go after it. You can't sit back and, and hope that you're going to have a passive heart and mind change. The heart, it's the inner being. And as I was studying this, 762 verses in the Bible deal with the heart, that inner will, that inner desire. It's not talking about the organ. It's talking about the inner being of, of what makes you tick, what your will is, what your inner being and desires, what, what you long for. He says to go after those things. Set your mind on, on heavenly things and your heart on, on heavenly things. The mind, 126 verses deal with the mind. 42 of the 66 books deal with setting your mind and your affections on heavenly things. My favorite is First Peter when he says, prepare your minds for actions, be self-controlled, and set your hope fully on Jesus. I don't know about you, but... If I was to ask you probably in the hallway, if I was to tell you, tell me a time when you kind of spiraled into sin and you started doing things or, or your behavior really didn't really match up with Jesus, you would probably, I know my story would be this, it's when I let my mind go to things. It's when I allowed my heart to, have, to chase other affections and I think other things are more important. And then I began to take on that character and not about Jesus. A.W. Tozer puts it this way, he says this, a neglected heart will soon be a heart overrun with worldly thoughts, and the neglected life will soon become immoral chaos. When a life that looks nothing like Jesus, you could tie it back into a heart and a mind that is not set on him. It is an active pursuit of pursuing holiness. Holiness in the original language means to be set apart. It means different. It means that when we are the church, the body, our lives are to be looking different than the world. Set apart, holy, distinct, is what holy means. 
Paul says we pursue that. We actively go after that. And so here's the thing. Are you and am I? Or do we neglect those things and we find ourselves living in sin and moral failure and living in guilt and shame because of the life we live because our minds and our hearts are set on other things? Paul goes to the second one. He says this. He says, we pursue holiness. And number two is the life that is raised in Jesus, we die to our old nature. Look at verse 5. Put to death. Basically, Paul says, kill it. Therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature, and he's going to give a list. It's not an exhaustive list of everything, but this is what, in the Colossian church, it's what's going on, so it, it ties to us. Sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, placing something above God. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. But look at verse 7. Look at the nature that changes. He's telling the church because false teachings have crept in of saying, just live how you want to live. Look at verse 7. He says, you used to walk that way. That's how you used to be. You used to do this. Look at this. You used to walk around like a, a, a clown with your, your letter jacket. You ever, well, I'm going to say this. I remember when I went to Texas Tech a long time ago, and I show up, and people, you see people wearing their letter jackets, high school letter jackets in college, and people are like, what are you doing? Nobody, you don't do that anymore. You got to leave that behind you. I had, I had this. My daughter didn't know I had this, and I brought it, and she looked at me like, she goes, what are you doing? I said, I may get cold. And she looked at me like, it's crazy. I said, it's for the children's sermon. It's okay. But we don't walk around with this anymore. Does anybody in this room want to be your high school self? Does anybody in this room want to walk around and say, I'm the high school version of myself and those passions and priorities, that's who I am? No. I don't want that. That's still fit, by the way. I just wanted to keep reiterating that. <laughs> Nobody wants that. So Paul is saying, hey, you used to be that. You used to walk that way. Look at verse 8. But now, right now, Right now, you must rid yourselves of such things. He lists off anger, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. And he talks in verse 9, he says, don't lie to each other. Since you've taken off that, that disrobing, if you will, you've taken off that letter jacket, you've taken off that old self, and, and all of its practices. Did you see that? The habits, the priorities, the thoughts, the things that you think are important, all of that old self, it's gone. It's dead. But here's the rhetorical question, church. Is it? Because sometimes for me, I've got to continually kill it because I, I'm tempted sometimes, illustration, I want to go put that back on. There's thoughts I want to think. There's things I want to do. And, and God said, that's outside of what I'm asking of you, David. I don't think I'm the only one who, who finds themselves or purposely chooses sin. We don't just, oops, I fell into sin, right? That I think, I want that. I'm thinking that. I desire that. And God says, David, that's wrong for you. That's not good for you. Take the jacket off. Quit walking around college with your high school letter jacket. It's, that's the old you. It's gone. Louis Giglio puts it this way. When we want to die to stuff, he goes, but to mean it when I say I want my life to count for his glory, it is to drive a stake through the heart of self. It is a painful and a determined dying to me that must be a part of everyday life. You know what that means? I love quotes, and I've got several because people say it better than I can. I love to lean on those. He's saying it is a daily getting up and saying, i got to die to myself. I've woke up, woken up, and I have, I have bad images of, of myself and who I am. I don't, feel, I don't feel secure. I don't feel like I have any worth or value. I've got to chase all of these things. Colossians 2, you have all you need in Jesus. Your life, the old you, it's gone. It's dead. And sometimes... Not sometimes, most of the time, if not all the time, it is a moment by moment, day by day, of repentance, 
and dare I say, purging the old self and saying, God, help me to change. I can't do this anymore. Jesus said in Luke 9, he said, if you want to come after me, you must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses it for me will, will save it. I, I mentioned this last week, Christmas Eve, and, and I mentioned it last week, when Jesus says, you fo- when you follow me, you won't walk in darkness. He's the light of life. Do you, do you believe that? Can I, can I keep throwing this back out at you? Look at me, church. I'm, I'm, this is, this, I need you to hear this. Do you truly believe that? Not, a, not something because you were taught that as a child talking right now, 2023, whoa, it's blowing my mind, that you truly believe that who he is, and does it dictate and determine how you live? Because I know people that I know that, that they're struggling with, I follow Jesus, but their life looks nothing like that. I'm like, do you truly believe him and who he is? Because if it's just a religion, then you're, you don't really care. You're just going to do what you want to do and hope that you're good in the end. But if you truly believe that he was brought from, from death to life and he conquered sin and you were brought from death to life and your sin and repentance, that it's going to change you. You will never, and I will never get past the gratitude of my heart where I can't help but worship him and want to be a part of what he's doing. That is not a religious thing of like, I got I to gotta do this or do this. That is a, I want to. I can't help but want to crack the Bible and just read. I can't help but want to gather with saints and believers and to worship. I can't help but to want to get in a small group and just talk about the Bible. I can't help but do all these things and all the peripheral things that want to defray that of personalities and relationships and conflict, all that stuff that wants to tear it away, all that's secondary. Nothing is going to trump your desire to follow him. He gives ang- examples of anger and malice, and I don't have to list examples. Paul does. That old self, the life that was angry. You ever had anger in your life? Yeah, I'll do that, Jesus, but I'm mad. I'm frustrated. Maybe malice where you have ill will towards people and you actually wish stuff that would, wouldn't go well for them. Slander, filthy language, gossip, all these things that happen, talking filthy, worldly, all this kind of stuff, things that don't honor Jesus that we just kind of think it's not a big deal. It's just words. Sometimes in conversations in life, I know I used to wrestle with this a lot, that we kind of think, well, that's just my personality. I'm just, a, I'm just that, that's this kind of person that I am. Well, 1 Peter 2, 24 says that he himself bore our sins and in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. We are dead to sin. There is no, there's no gray area for me to say, you know what, I kind of have an anger issue. I've kind of have a problem with my tongue. I kind of have a problem with my, my desires for things. That's just kind of who I am. And even though I follow Jesus, I'm still going to do these things. There's no wiggle room there. Peter says, you die to those sins. And you live for righteousness. But it's hard. That's why the greatest lessons I know from my story is when I I mess up and I sin. Not if, but when I sin. When I say something I shouldn't have said. When I think something. When I set my eyes and my affections on something I shouldn't. When I allow my, my heart to go after things that aren't of the Lord. On my face, I can repent and say, God, help me. Help me not to do that. Change my, my heart. Renew me. Help me do this. But so often... If we're honest, maybe that's not what we want. You used to walk that way, verse 7, but now you're something different. And you've taken off the old self. You've, you've disrobed that, 
that sinful nature, it's gone. But a lot of people that we follow Christ don't really want that. Tozer, A.W. Tozer puts it this way. It's kind of challenging. I hate this quote, but I love it at the same time. He says, I think most Christians, most people that would profess Lord, we would be better pleased if the Lord didn't inquire into the personal affairs too closely. They want him to save them, keep them happy, and take them to heaven at last, but not to inquire too inquisitively about their conduct or their service. You know what that paraphrase in David's paraphrase version? God, I want to go to heaven. I want to be a Christian, but stay out of my life. Nobody, can I, can I confess at the top of this? Nobody in this room is going to say, that's me. That's my story. Let's talk about that. No. But can I tell you, this is for me, maybe not for you. Every time I choose sin, that's what I'm saying. When I choose and I don't want to, I want to put that letter jacket back on, I'm saying, no, I want to do this. I'm choosing this. I didn't accidentally say it earlier. We don't just stumble into sin like, oops, I didn't mean to gossip. I didn't mean to slander. I didn't mean to, 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 to do these things. I'm choosing to, to put that on. And we want to just keep God at the peripheral and just keep him on the boundaries. And we hope to go to heaven in the end. We want to be Christians and we want to be religious. We want to do church. We want to do these things. But God, stay out of my business. Stay out of my, stay out of my personal space. I think of Hebrews 12. I just thought about this this morning when, when the author of Hebrews in chapter 12, when he says, hey, let's, let's run the race that's marked for us. You know what he, Remember what he says? I, I was in my office this morning and it hit me. He says, but let, let's throw it off. Everything that hinders you, throw it off. Can I look at you, church, and ask you this question? For a I've got a laundry list of my things. What hinders you? Let's get real personal real quick because you can listen and, and we can leave and go, but I'm going to ask you to really test yourself. What hinders your faith? Is it identity? Is it completeness? Is it battling the ways of the world? Is it, is it temptation? Is it struggles? What is it in your life, if you have it, that you think, man, I need to, I'm running my race, but I got stuff that's hindering, it's holding me back, and I, need to, I need to throw it off. I have mine, and I'm sure you have yours. Are there areas of our life that we need to kill? Ever lost your temper? Ever said something stupid or mean or ugly? You ever cut somebody with your words? Ever told a lie? Ever given into temptation or sexual sin? Ever, ever, for any of these reasons? That's just Paul's things. He says, in our sanctification, when God is shaping us and molding us, we die to the old self. Number three, we'll go quickly. Number three, he says, we're going to put on the new self. He says in verse 9, he goes, take off the old self with all of its practices, everything that goes with that, it's gone. Number three, he says, we're going to put on our old self. Look at verse 10. And we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. There's no Gentile, nor Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Christ is in all and is all. Unity. Holiness is not just a goal, it's a part of who we are. But I love this. I want you to catch this because look at, the, look at verse 10. I want you to underline this if you can. He says this. He says, he says you're, you're, you're putting on the new self, which is being renewed. I love this for so many reasons, but because it is a continual, lifelong process that God, even in our struggles and our failures, we are not perfect, but we are a work in progress. Now, I, I, can I say a couple of things on this? I just want, this, this is really profound, at least it was to me. It's not, it's not a free pass to sin, and whenever you're living your life sin, it's like, oh, I'm just a work in progress. <laughs> God's got, I'm forgiven. I can do what I want. God's forgiven me. It's not a free pass to do that, but, but I want you to catch this. 
it also helps us have grace on ourselves when we mess up. Rhetorically speaking, are you ever super hard on yourself? Where you wake up in the morning and you know you've messed up or your life, you've done something, and you're just like, man. And the enemy starts creeping in and your value, your worth, your nothing, your, all these kind of things, and, and start to question who you are. It gives us grace that we are being, it's a process. You're not done until he takes you home. Hear me. So if there's anybody, teenager, children, all the way up to see, if there's anybody in this room that you're worth and your value, it, it is in question because you're struggling, you are a progress of, of being shaped and molded. But number two, hear this, it also helps us give grace to people. Christians are the worst about going after their own. Paul is basically in this, in this church, he says, we have enough problems to face outside the body. Let's not go at each other inside. Because here's what happens. It helps us have grace for other people. Because so often we can minimize our sin, but we can love to go after people. But when he says they're being, it's a process of being renewed, we can also forgive. We can move past. We can, we can grant relationships to be overcome with forgiveness and grace and mercy because when somebody offends, somebody does something to us, something that we do to others, church, hear this, that we can say, it was wrong, but there's forgiveness and there's grace. And just in case if you think, well, that's kind of a stretch, Pastor. No, it's not. I want you to see this. Look, it goes directly to that. We have grace for ourselves because this is what's going to happen. Verses 12 through 14, look what he says. This is number four. We give grace to other people. In light of this, in light of this being renewed, this process of being shaped and molded into the image of Jesus, we can give grace to ourselves. It's a process. But we can give grace to others. They're in process. They're jacked up just like I'm jacked up. And God is shaping and molding. And look at verse 12. We can give grace to other people. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, here comes the, the clothing. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another as if you have any grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. It are all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. I, I love this because when we go from the new self to, to giving grace to people, this is a mark of a life that is, that is raised in Christ. We can give ourselves grace. We can give grace to others, to those in the church, those outside the church. When things happen, we can forgive. And, he, and, he, and if you can visualize what I'm not going to do it because I get too hot, but we take off that letter jacket, put on the new self. It's like kiddos in the children's sermon. It's like when we put on that other jacket, we put on the new self it's not about us. It's saying we're taking on the character of Jesus who is compassionate, who is kind, who is humble and gentle. And we can say these things. We can say God has compassion on me, so I'm going to have compassion on people like him. He shows kindness to me in my sins, and I'm going to show kindness to others in their sin. He humbled himself to the cross. I can humble myself before other believers. He was gentle and lowly in heart, according to Matthew 11, so may I be that. I can bear with others and I can forgive them, not because they deserve it, but because I've tasted forgiveness. And I, wa I want to, and I'm, I'm wrestling and trying to forgive as well. I can love as he does. Imagine, imagine a church, imagine our church, imagine the church in general, if more believers would pursue holiness like 
and we live out this life-changing message of the gospel. Paul closes at number five. He talks about this gratitude for, for all that he's done, and you've got to be all in. Look at verse, uh, uh, verse 15. This is number five. We've got to be gratefully and completely living for him. Let the peace of Christ rule. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Here it is. Be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude of the heart. There's corporate gatherings here, corporate setting. And whatever you do, whether it is in word or deed, whether it's what you speak or how you live, do it all, everything, in the name of the Lord Jesus and undermarking, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, I want to say something to you. Look at verse 15, where it says, the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, here's something that's interesting. I love sports. I don't know about you. I, the, the, the word rule there in verse 15, it's an athletic term, okay? Um, I, I went to uh, some basketball games on Friday and, you know, got some good, got some good wins. It was good. Uh, but I don't know about you, but sometimes it, it gets a little crazy. This may shock you, but not everybody always agrees with referees or umpires. Did you know that? I don't know if you knew that or not, Okay. Go to, it happens. I, I, but here's the thing. This, this term rule, this is, it helps me understand this. This term rule in verse 15, it, it's basically, it's, it's tied. It's, it's almost equivalent to like a referee or an umpire that is trying to keep a game in question. Now, whether you agree with the calls or not, their job is to keep it from getting out of control. You're probably thinking, well, I've been in a lot of out of control games and the referee's been in there. But take them out. It's like going in, driving through Lubbock and turning off all the, all the streetlights. It's going to be crazy, disastrous. What he's saying here, and he said the, the, the peace of Jesus Christ, it is to reign and to rule in your heart. There, is, there are attempts to try to go back to the old self. But it's the nature, it's like a referee and umpire that's going to say, no, 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 don't do that. No. That's the peace that's within us by his spirit. Life happens and life gets pretty crazy. But he says, let this peace, it's going to rule in your heart since you are members of one body. You're part of the church and be thankful. You're going to see three times in these verses, 15 through 17, three times he's going to be saying be thankful. 15, 16, 17. You're going to sing songs to, with gratitude of your heart, verse 17. And whatever you do, whether it's a word or deed, do it all in the name of the glory of God, giving thanks to him. So I go back to this, and I'm almost done, but hear this. I go back to last week when I think about that. Do we ever get past or yawn at the gospel? Jesus died for my sins and I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to live for him and I'm going to part of the church, the kingdom of God on this earth. Just go to life. Do you ever get bored with that? I think, I truly believe when Paul is emphatically reminding them to understand the gratitude of the heart means to not get past the gospel. You may be thinking, Pastor, I'll never do that. Well, the Colossian church struggled with that. Other things started creeping in. Other things started peaking value, and people began to yawn at the gospel. Other things began to rule our hearts. He says, whatever you do, do it in word or deed. We don't buy the lies that the world's going to feed us. We don't reduce the Christian life to what we want it to be. Paul articulated it in a powerful way to the Colossian church and to us. He said, this is what a life that has been raised to live in Christ looks like. 
Hear this. We cannot help but be changed, and the world can't help but take notice. D.L. Moody says it this way, a holy life makes a deepest impression. It's an old quote. Lighthouses blow no horns. You know what they do? They shine. You see, God presents windows in these moments, and I'll close with one in just a minute. But Moody's right. Our lives are right. You'll see nowhere in the scriptures that I just said a while ago where Paul is telling the church, hey, you know what? Tell everybody what you believe. Go out there and just tell them, hey, this is Jesus, I believe this, I believe. There's a time and a place for that. But he's saying, let it rain in your hearts and be changed and let your life show Jesus has brought you from death to life. Lighthouses blow no horns. They shine. I'll close with this. There are times in life where there is a darkness where believers have an opportunity to truly shine. I, I, this is just for, a, a great example for me. I, 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 I love watching football, all of those kind of things. And there was a big thing that happened in, in, in the NFL this week where a player for the Bills team, uh, if you don't know, it's just real quickly, uh, collapsed. He, he, had, he, had, he collapsed on the field after making a routine play. He collapsed and had heart failure. They did CPR and they brought him back to life. Praise God, he's recovering. But a lot of things transpired after that. I saw some things that I've never seen before. As I was watching TV and scrolling through channels or whatever, one of the things that I've never seen before, I've never seen, I saw a broadcaster in the middle on ESP and on the middle of the channel. A lot of people talk about praying. I saw somebody stop and pray in the show. I don't think he got fired, but he did it. Prayed for this person. It was a pretty dark time, and there's lots of them. This is not like it's a, this is the biggest one, but there's lots of things. This window of opportunity when the world starts to look, and another thing happened. These names don't really matter, but there was a guy named Nick Wright. He's a broadcaster, and he, he does a show with a guy named Chris Broussard. Names don't matter. But Nick Wright was t- asked on these questions, and he started talking about things. And he said, he said in this moment, I, he goes, I've got two, two of the closest people in my life. This is what Nick said. He goes, it's my wife, and he pointed to Chris Broussard, him. He said, both of them are very religious people, people of faith, people that he's seen their lives in their testament of faith. And he says, but I am not. And then he proceeded to talk about this tragedy, this moment where this, this, at the time, is he going to make it? Is he going to live? And, and what Nick Wright said, I quote, I'm gonna, I have it here. I'm gonna, I, want, I want to give it as best I can. He said, right here, sorry. He said, I, I, I found myself envious of them in that moment since they had something, they had that foundation of faith that I didn't have. He described himself as this. This is his, his quote. I found myself, quote, flailing about in moments like these inexplicable tragedies. And you're probably thinking, Dave, what's the point of that? My point is this, in this window of opportunity, well, they come all the time. They come in Olson, Texas. You know they come in life, at work, in families. These moments when the world in this dark place is about to look around, they're looking for something. Nick Wright, who doesn't know the Lord at all, saw in his wife, I don't know how that marriage works out, in uh, his wife, in one of his closest friends, he says, I'm envious of you, I'm jealous. I don't have what you have. He saw something in their life or their faith, or he would never even, he would describe the whole thing. He saw something in them. You have something I don't have. And, and when I, I thought about that with that quote from, from, from Moody about shining, living a life that's raised for Jesus has a continual spiritual lasting effect. It will change the world. We are the living testimonies of Jesus. Imperfect. Look at me, church. Shaped and molded day by day. You're going to mess up. I'm going to mess up. We're going to say, we're going to do things, but there's grace for us. There's grace for others. He's shaping. He is molding us. You know what he's doing? 
into the image of himself. And sometimes it is a chisel. Sometimes it is a shaping. Sometimes it is in repentance and failure. Sometimes it is in teachings and sermons and Bible studies. The Holy Spirit of God purges things in your life. So I ask you this question before we leave today. Are there things that we need to throw off that are holding us back? My life's not looking like Jesus. Is there grace to be given to others? Is there grace to be given to yourself? Does our life look like a life that pursues holiness, that it dies to the old self, that it puts on the new, that it gives grace to others, but it is completely and gratefully out of the gospel living for him? When Paul says all, do all things, (laughs) it's all things. That's not saying do church for him. That's not saying just do your Bible study for him. That's saying when you're parenting, do it for him. When you're at work, you do it for him. When you're handling your money, you do it for him. When you're speaking, you do it for him. When you're wrestling with relationships, you do it for him. When you're working on your marriage, you do it for him. There is nothing that is outside the realm of the gospel that changes all of it. And if you're like me, I'm There are areas in my life where I set my mind, I set my hearts, my affections on other things. In the starting place to say, God, get that rid of, I want to leave that behind. Forgive me. Help me to change that. Help me to live for you. I'm going to ask you to bow for a word of prayer. Just for a moment before we sing, and just be still for a second. Don't move past the word. Let the Spirit settle on you just for your own life. How's all this playing out? We can't help but be changed and the world can't help but notice. And people around us look and say, that I'm envious of that. I'm envious of how they live and what they have. Their faith is secure and it changes the course and the trajectory of their life. They got something I don't have. That's a life changed. If he calls to mind things in your life, would you just, right there where you're at, just ask God to take that, repent from that, tell him you're sorry, help him to shape you and mold it. Maybe today would be a, a difficult, maybe a, a, a hard moment where he's, he, he's shaping you and he's molding you. Maybe chiseling out some stuff that needs to be different. Just wrestle for a minute before we stand and let the Spirit speak to you. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that the word of God is it's sharp. It's double-edged. I thank you that we can put our lives against it and we can see as your people what you've asked and not asked, what you've called of us. This is what it looks like. 
And for those of us in this room, we've, we've verbalized in, in our spirit, we've said, God, take this. I want to be different. I want to, I'm, not, I'm looking more like the world, not like you. Would you honor that, God, and meet us and convict us and help us to change? But God, above all, I just want to say thank you for the gospel. Thank you for, for giving us hope of salvation. And I pray that you would start with me, that I don't ever yawn and get past that. I can't help but a day-by-day moment thinking I am redeemed and rescued by the blood of Jesus. And it changes me. It's not a story. I'm banking my life and my eternal life on it. Everything. And if there's somebody in this room today that's never done that, that their hope is in the world and the things of the world, and they know a lot about Jesus, but they've never been changed and brought from death to life, and all they know is to chase the world, maybe in a simple sermon like this, in conversations maybe after or at home, that maybe you would draw people to yourself. That somebody might say, I'm done living for me. I want to know Jesus. Because he's enough. Father, we thank you for this. And as we're about to stand and sing and celebrate, I I thank you for this opportunity to come. And we ask it all in the great name of Jesus. Amen.